0: Hey Extra Serving listeners, Holly Petrie here with a brand new episode of the Extra Serving podcast. We have a special edition from IFMA's CoEx here. Sam, Okus, and I just got back from the conference and we have our takeaways to start off the episode. Uh, A little feed in from Sam's podcast uh, to start off Extra Serving. And then we have a few interviews from manufacturers where we talked about supply chain and labor. So enjoy this special edition. Hey, Sam. So we just got back from IFMA's COEX. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the event and what it was like being there.
1: Sure. So uh, COEX stands for Chain Operator Exchange, uh, and this is an annual event put on by the International Food Service Manufacturers Association, uh, which, as their name uh, suggests, is an association uh, between, uh, which brings together manufacturers, distributors, but also food service operators to talk all about supply chain in the food service industry. Um, and so this COEX in particular is an opportunity for operators to make those connections to um, those other parties. Um, and so in it was in Austin, Texas last week, we all you know, were there um, for this event and it was just a lot of members of each of those parties that I mentioned, sharing ideas, talking about supply chain, which of course, as we know right now is a huge, huge topic of conversation for the restaurant industry.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for more information, you can definitely check out our conversation with the CEO of IFMA. Uh, We have that on our LinkedIn. So definitely go check out that conversation. Uh, But Sam, what are some of the things that you learned? I mean, there's definitely a lot of takeaways from a conference like this, where, you know, we talked to a lot of operators and CEOs, um, definitely a lot of podcasts. We got out of it. We were at the podcast lounge. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about what you learned at this conference?
1: Yeah, so we, as you said, hosted this great podcast lounge, um, kind of in the middle of the action, we had a lot of especially restaurant operators swing by and talk to us about the state of things. Um, but we also had a, a number of manufacturers themselves also sit down and, and to your point, Phil Kafarakis, who's the president and CEO of IFMA also joined us. Um, and again, uh, you know, supply chain was the huge discussion point, because these are all people who have some sort of stake in the supply chain. And so we wanted to hear straight from them. We've been hearing so much from all of our sources and across the restaurant industry about how hard supply chain is right now. We wanted to kind of get a firsthand account. So. So, yeah, I have um, several takeaways that I, I, I have brought with me from Coex, and I know you can weigh in on this, Holly, as you, you sat in on the podcast lounge. And we heard these things over and over and over again from basically everybody who sat down with us there in Austin. And I would say the first one right now is that everybody on the supply chain is struggling. Um, this was something perhaps this is obvious to everybody, but you know, for for us, we're talking always to restaurant operators themselves, restaurant executives, and you know, it's easy to think, oh, well, just it just sucks for them. you know, uh, they're just having trouble getting product from their manufacturer. If only the manufacturer can fix this or figure things out. And in truth, every everybody is having issues. The manufacturer is having is having trouble um, being able to manufacture product, get you know raw material to make the product. The distributor is having issues with you know finding a, somebody to drive a truck, um, and certainly gasoline prices, which we can talk about here in a little bit. And then the operator can't get it from the distributor. So when everybody along that supply chain is struggling you have this massive supply chain issue that is not easily untangled. Um, And so, so that's the first bit I would say, which is to the food service operators, just know that you're not the only one on the supply chain who is struggling.
0: Definitely. I mean, we heard it from everyone that, that there are struggles out there and they're not alone. I mean, we heard it from the manufacturer side. We interviewed a lot of manufacturers who were saying that they're struggling on their end. And then we heard it from food service operators. And so we heard from all sides that were saying that, you know, we are struggling. It's not just you. It's not just you. It's not just us. It's everyone out there, and and it's the they're not alone.
1: Right. Yeah. And to that point, my second takeaway from Coex was that communication here is key when it comes to figuring out your supply chain issues. Communication with your vendors, uh, your manufacturers, your distributors, um, and that's what Coex really seemed to represent, which was it was the bringing together of the minds along the supply chain to communicate and help to figure this out all together because. You know, it does seem like everybody uh, is, uh, I mean, everybody wants to fix this because they have to, we have to sort this out because supply chain can't be an issue forever and business continues on. I mean, by the way, restaurant sales, sales are, are booming. That was another um, thing that we kept hearing is that performance is going really well. It's all of the other stuff that is a real challenge. And so you you have to continue to make sure the supply chain keeps running so that you can facilitate those sales. And so communication uh, is is key. Talk to your vendors and your distributors, everybody along the supply chain that you have those connections with, to sort out and get creative and figuring out how to solve your problems.
0: That's something we definitely heard from Paul D'Amico, uh, CEO of Fuzzy's Taco Shop, um, in your takeaway episode, which just aired. Uh, he was talking about how sales are booming, but you know he can't get things like avocados.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, normally people would be thrilled about the state of things as it relates <laughs> to sales, but yeah, if you're if you're selling a ton of guacamole and you're you know, you're, you're, you can't get any avocados, you have an issue here. Um, and so there's a, a real problem that everybody's trying to figure out. But good segue into my third takeaway, Holly, which is that efficiency is key here as you navigate both your supply chain issues and your labor issues. So of course, labor kept coming up as well, because labor plays into all of this. Um, as I mentioned with you know, distributors having trouble finding truck drivers. I mean, that's a labor problem. Restaurants, of course, are having labor problems. Um, so when I say efficiency is key to supply chain and to labor, you know, what I mean by that is if you're having trouble getting guacamole or getting avocados from your guacamole, you're going to have to figure out how to get more efficient with your other ingredients to make up for the fact that maybe you can't serve guacamole even if it's one of your signature recipes and your customers love you for it, somehow you have to figure out how to facilitate their demand for guacamole into something else, another product. And um, and so maybe efficiency is not the right word here, but certainly creativity. How do you, how do you figure out um, you know, making your menu a, more appealing and more creative, more in, interesting while also having these issues in getting those products? And so just as one example, I believe it was Nick Voinovich from um, Little Greek who sat down and talked with us, and he talked about how, you know, scaling back on some of those that LTO development that you might be doing with new products, um, and instead look at your existing SKUs and figure out what you can do with those that might be something new and fresh. So again, it's efficiency of what you've got. You know, not bemoaning what you don't, but looking at what you do have and then getting creative with that and coming up with uh, a new product um, that could still be appealing. And then efficiency with the labor, um, you know, a lot of people were talking about cutting store hours. um, And that's not ideal, but at the same time, um, you know, figuring out how can you get the most out of the employees you do have while also recruiting and trying to hire, but, you know, recognizing that the people you do have are your most important asset here now. So, you know, not to burn them out by, work, you know, having too much of, of long hours um, and getting the most out of them. And Paul is another great example of, of efficiency in labor. I mean, Fuzzies is a, a restaurant that, you know, the, the customer does most of the work. They walk up to, you know, a bar and place their order and they get a drink and they sit down and then they go up to the expo counter to, to grab their order when their name is called. So finding out ways that you can have this efficiency within your labor, have this efficiency within your supply chain. Can help you certainly in the short term to navigate all of these issues.
0: I think what we heard the most from everyone or one of the one of the most common themes was this overtime from employees and how to get rid of, you know, having these employees with overtime because it's such a big expenditure because everybody has come up to this $15 an hour minimum wage and a lot of these companies are paying $15 an hour and overtime $15 an hour is a lot of money you're paying time and a half. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money on $15 an hour, 50, even $12 an hour. I mean, that's still, it's still a lot of money when you're talking about a small business um, or even a medium-sized business. I mean, even for a large business, it's, it's still a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot yeah. of money on the books. And so, especially when, even if you're doing well in sales, inflation is still out there. You're still paying more for products. You're still paying more for labor. Now you're paying more for supply. You're just, everything is more. And it's, it's really costing these companies a lot of money, especially. So we heard a lot that overtime is really taxing these companies a lot and they're trying to look for ways out of it.
1: For sure. And that is my fourth takeaway here, which is overtime is still an issue, but the labor situation is getting better. So I would say echoing everything you just said, which is that um, and and you know I I in my head understood this you know how this goes that you, you know if you can't find more employees to fill hours you use your existing employees to fill those hours but you have to pay time and a half and overtime um, but I had never understood really how much that was playing into just the challenges of today just the scope of this issue where you're right every single operator we sat down when I asked about labor overtime was their the first thing out of their mouth as well or overtime is, you know, it's just through the roof. But, you know, to my point was, all of them seemed optimistic that this was getting better. You know, we've been dealing with labor now for a couple years. I mean, you know, starting with a pandemic, but then last year, really labor becoming as serious of an issue as it became. Um, It felt like everybody, they're figuring this out, they're navigating it, they're coming up with solutions. They don't expect it to be to just go away and suddenly everybody's happy and, and you know the labor situation is solved, but they do see that their cost of overtime is going down, um, that they are managing to find employees. Now, nobody said this out loud, but I do think that those efficiencies, and especially when you talk about something like technology, AI, automation, I suspect some of that, You know, people are figuring out ways to employ some of that to solve this issue too. But I walked away feeling more optimistic about labor Um, just because everybody else seems to be optimistic, but that overtime issue is still very much number one among operators.
0: Well, and I think that what was so interesting, you know, talking about finding ways to recruit people is that uh, Donna Tuttle from Whataburger was talking about how they pay managers six figures. And it doesn't matter if you went to college, if you didn't go to college, how, you know, Whataburger is working on finding tracks for, for careers for their employees. They really try to like foster family there. They try to foster like this whole career and that, they, even though they've struggled during the labor movement, they, they really were working with employees during the, um, during the labor crisis during 2020 and that they had employees stay with them throughout 2021 and that it helped them because they, were, they really fostered this family environment where they were caring for employees and where they, they knew that they had employees' backs and the employees were there for them when Whataburger needed them. And so it was really interesting to hear her say that. Um, she's actually on our podcast uh, this week So, um, but it was really interesting to hear her say that, you know, employees, they had their employees backs in 2020, they paid them through the pandemic. Um, and then employees had their backs in 2021 when the labor crisis hit, um, because they, they have the six figure track to become a manager for 24, 25 year olds. I mean, that's incredible. And, and that they were just there for their employees and so that was really interesting to hear. Um, I think she's like one of the managers of culture. And, and so she's really explaining how the culture of Whataburger is there for everyone.
1: Yeah, key to that is the word career, which is, she pointed out on our podcast and on a panel that I hosted or I moderated with her at Coex, which is this fact that, you know, fast food has this, um, you know, negative connotation of flipping burgers. And here she is working for a major burger company. And she's fighting against this notion of it being bottom rung, just flipping burgers to trying to suggest anybody who works in that environment can make a career out of this. And that's what they're trying to do at Whataburger. So um, I would tell you, Holly, my, my final takeaway from COEX uh, is that uncertainty remains, particularly around gas prices. Um, as the invasion of Ukraine is ongoing, when, you know, it was still fairly early in the invasion when we met in Austin, but it was on everybody's minds. Here we are a week later, it's certainly still on everybody's mind, which is um, the you know gasoline prices are continuing to skyrocket. And we all know what that means for the supply chain, which is that, you know, not only with inflation continuing gas prices going up, I mean, everything along the supply chain will continue to get worse in some ways. Costs are going to get worse. Gas prices are going to get worse. So distribution is going to get worse. Um, So so even though there was optimism around something like labor, and I think generally there was an optimistic feeling that, you know, the worst of the pandemic was behind us, there were, you know, some things to be optimistic about just that uncertainty around what happens from here as it relates to gas prices and certainly the ongoing um, invasion of Ukraine um, just means there's still uncertainty and nobody quite knows what to expect for the rest of the year.
0: Real downer to end on, but, you know.
1: Should have made that number one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops.
0: But, you know, an important one to end on because there, we we are, we're uncertain about the future right now. And it was a good takeaway because we did hear a lot of people mention that, you know, that gas prices were, it was big. The oil prices are going up. Oil prices are going up. Oil prices are going up. We heard that from probably 10 or 15 people we talked to. Um, so it was big on everyone's mind. And that was a week ago. So much has changed in a week. Uh, yep, it's yep. going up even more. So, I mean, I'm sure if you talk to anybody in the industry, it's top of their mind right now. So, it's an important one to be on there, even though it's a real downer to end on. Uh, so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> interesting time to be a food service operator, that much we can say.
0: Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you for all your takeaways, Sam. Uh, it's been a blast. Uh, so, thank you so much. And we will be back at COEX next year. And now, here are our manufacturer interviews. Enjoy three interviews from some of the manufacturers at IFMA's COEX conference.
1: Ben Wexler of Custom Culinary, thank you so much for taking some time to chat today. Um, ben, tell us about
2: Custom Culinary. What is this company all about? Sure. Custom Culinary is it's a wholly owned subsidiary, actually, of Griffith Foods. We're a flavor platform company. So we create both uh, flavor bases, soup bases, uh, gravies, as well as ready-to-use sauces. Uh, so we can really provide the entire operator landscape outside of direct-to-consumer. We support that that broad customer base and their flavor needs.
1: What's that relationship like with your customers? How do you work with them to, to be able to accomplish that?
2: Sure. We have a, uh, an organization split up into three teams. So we have one team that does our uh, traditional field sales, working with distributors uh, up and down the street accounts and, and a lot of the non-commercial accounts. Uh, we have another team that works with uh, chain restaurants, um, both national and, and regional in nature. Uh, and we have another that sells either to other uh, processors or to um Customers that would utilize our products sort of like Blue Apron or e-commerce or things of that nature. So we, we split up in that area to keep people focused so they can have the best understanding of their customer base's needs.
1: So obviously a lot of interaction with these restaurant clients and you must hear from them about all the challenges that they're facing today obviously starting with the pandemic, but rolling into labor, supply chain, inflation. Tell me about, especially when it comes to something like supply chain and inflation, being on that vendor side, how do you interact with them to help them navigate those challenges that
2: they're facing? Sure. And I think what a lot of us see is uh, the pandemic didn't necessarily create challenges. It really exacerbated and accelerated them. So I've been in the industry quite a few years, and we were talking about labor and in a lot of these challenges 30 years ago, it's just really gotten much more protracted now. Um, So some of this has to do with how we um, proactively determine how to streamline our portfolio from a product point of view, but expand the usage uh, from an operator point of view of how our products can be utilized to proactively allow customers to bring in Less things when cash flow or labor or inventory uh, costs are a challenge, but have that not impact ultimately what they can deliver to the consumer and to the patron? Uh, we, we have a dedicated culinary and R and D team. Our culinary team are all folks that have extensive experience in the back of the house and in, into the operational dynamic, so they understand the challenges that they're working through. And our chefs will go in. And, and look to see what challenges our customers are having to help them solve them um, one other area that we look at is depending on the customer with whom we're speaking they'll have a tendency at times to look at one portion of the PL at a time so you'll and it's understandable procurement will look at I want to buy stuff at the lowest cost we try to help them see, how does, what is the total cost and operational impact to your p So, for example, paying a little bit more from a procurement perspective to buy a ready-to-use product may actually be cheaper when you have increasing labor costs, and it actually may expand your capabilities when you either lack labor or lack the train labor to uh, to make certain items. So it's a matter of how do we make sure that we're both driving their top line and their margin by allowing them to charge appropriately for really on-trend offerings um, and seeing them look at things from a fully loaded cost point of view in terms of not just food cost alone, but food costs and labor.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. And then last question, You know, going into the year ahead, still so much uncertainty in the world with various things, how can custom culinary keep on top of this going ahead? How do you prepare the company and make sure you're responding to whatever challenges come the way of the clients?
2: Well, um, as we often talk about, none of us have done this before. So, so there isn't a playbook uh, for this. Um, and a lot of what we're doing is really trying to focus on what we can control, um, and also, to the degree that we can, trying to remove unnecessary areas of uncertainty or cost. So our, we've got a, de- a really talented, dedicated R&D team that's continuously looking for how we can, where possible, streamline um, our, our product formulations. Uh, because if we can remove some of the complexity from them without having an impact on either the sensory or the performance dynamics, we can increase the reliability with which those ingredients will show up and and work to um, also consolidate and direct customers to um, potentially still a a very broad and wide but a little bit more focused portfolio um, and make sure that people understand um, there might've been slight differences between products before, but focusing them to a little bit more of a core set and then expanding the culinary applications with that. So in reality, while it may be less SKUs, it's actually more offerings that they can make right. their customers. Because our job, obviously, is to help our customers be successful with and, and meet, uh, meet consumers' needs. Sure.
1: Ben Waxler of Custom Culinary, appreciate your time today. Thanks so much.
2: Absolutely, thank you.
1: Matt Rigney of Panasonic, thank you so much for taking some time to chat today. Matt, tell me about your role with Panasonic. What do you do and uh, you know what, what are you working on there at Panasonic these days? Sure. Uh, so Matt Rigney, uh, I am
3: the culinary sales manager for Panasonic uh, food service equipment. Uh, what I do is I have a couple different roles within um, the organization is I'm a sales manager first and foremost, but then I also develop, uh, I take our products and Develop um, culinary ideas and systems using our products to help the end user uh, and, and our end customer try to uh, use our products as a solution. So it's kind of neat where I can take my 20 years plus of operations experience and bring that to our end users and how we um, can use Panasonic's ventless solutions to kind of help them move forward and uh, they'll try to find some new ways of doing things.
1: And how, how would that be? And what's an example of how they could
3: use your solution? So uh, we have a couple of different products uh, that we combine under an umbrella called the Sonic Solution, and that's our Sonic Chef, which is our uh, high-speed oven, and our Sonic Steamer. So both are both ventless, um, and literally with these two pieces, with these two products, you can actually create almost a whole menu with just using two pieces of uh, cooking equipment. Um, what I did, even when you know two years ago, when this all when we closed our uh, kitchen down, our test kitchen, I actually installed an oven in my garage, okay. and I created a test kitchen. So I called it the Test Kitchen North, the Remote Test Kitchen, and I literally created two menus. So bars um, specifically could get back to serving food and serving drinks at the same time. Wow. Um, so that was one big solution that really helped us kind of form this Sonic solution, and it's it's really been doing very well for us that's awesome and now you just have a kitchen in your garage yeah well i moved it out um <laughs> okay. uh because you know the 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 kitchen is my dance space as they say uh-huh. and the uh garage is actually my wife's dance space and she okay. does all the fixing around the house and i do all the cooking
1: nice so that's a great setup. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's great works out for me works out for her <laughs> so obviously today the restaurant industry is facing so many challenges uh you know not the least of which everything that came with the pandemic but then you talk about labor and supply chain and inflation i'm sure you're hearing it from all yeah. of your clients tell me how panasonic is working with your clients to help them navigate those challenges
3: yeah so what's really interesting about what we do at panasonic with our food service equipment is um and what has helped with the supply chain issues do we have supply chain issues absolutely i think if anyone came up here and said you know we don't we, we they'd be lying. But what we do is we actually work through 15 distributors throughout the country who actually inventory our product around the country. Then they sell to the dealers who then sell to the end users. Now how that helps us is the product is close to the users, right? They're close to the restaurants. If someone has something break down they're not waiting a week to get it shipped to them from a main factory or whatnot. Um, so that has been very key with our success throughout the past two years. The other part is really working with these distributors and end users and getting their uh, uh, feedback in what are they gonna need for the future, right? One of the biggest challenges is we don't know sometimes, hey, this X chain is gonna need this many microwaves, so we really try to build relationships with our, you know, chains and our customers on what are their future needs. Not just now. We can't just focus on now. We focus on six to eight months down the future, yeah. d- down the road. Then we can produce products that they're going to be using and as they for their growth. So that's where we've done really well. And we um, have been able to you know, find um, equipment for these folks. The other cool thing that our distributors do is that they actually talk to each other, right? They're not in competition with each other. Right. So, so many times over the past two years, I've said, I've gotten a call saying, hey, does someone have a Sonic steamer? I have a customer in desperate need and everyone has been helping each other. So it's like, it's funny cause it's, you know, Panasonic but these Panasonic distributors are also helping each other. And that's really what's pretty awesome throughout our whole network of, of people. Right. Um, and especially with the growth of the Sonic Steamer and our Sonic Chef, it's been really key because we have some very, what's happened is because we've started doing so well with the steamers and the the, the, the uh, Sonic Chef is we've needed more of them to move around differently, right? Okay. So our demand has grown so quickly and so fast, um, but it's due to, you know, some really great things that we've been doing. Good run, yeah. yeah, right. Like, yeah, Absolutely. But it's just nice to see, right, that you have that community and you have that.
1: um, Yeah. So last question for you, Matt, you talked about how it's your guys' job to kind of look ahead for the sake of your clients. As you do that, as you guys try to keep ahead of whatever comes next, so much that's unpredictable, of course. But what's on balance for 2022 in terms of what you guys are working on now and how you're going to continue to help your clients?
3: So we're going to continue growing the Sonic solution, right? We're, we're continuing to different markets, focusing on newer and, and different markets, from what we'd already had, uh, really branching out. And um, a lot of what I've been doing as part of what we do in business development is reaching out to let people know that, hey, we have these products that can help you. Are we going to be the perfect dancer? No. For every single person? No. But we have been winning nonstop. With this solution, we are looking, and I wish I could talk about it, but we are looking at some new products in 2022, hopefully launching in 2023. Okay. But right now, our focus is to make sure that we have the products that people need and the uh, solutions that they have. And then I also the, the 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 last key point I'll I'll leave with you is that well, we also use me as a former operator, former chef, former you know dishpan guy. <laughs> But we are using that experience to help them. So we just don't say, here's a, here's, here's a steamer. Here's a, a high-speed oven. I'm going to show you how to use it. I'm going to help you develop the menu if you need to. Sure. Right? And that's really our focus for 2022. Let's help the end user grow. Let's help the end user use our products. And hopefully we'll be launching something in 2023 that I can talk about soon.
1: It's exciting. Next year's podcast, we'll hear right. more about <laughs> that. Yeah, that's right. Matt ring of Panasonic. I appreciate it. Thanks right. so much. Thank you so much. Chris Klein of Tyson, thank you so much for taking some time to chat today. Um, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role at Tyson and some of the things you're working on these days?
4: Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, I'd love to speak about that. My role at Tyson right now is I am the head of the food service culinary team. So I have a team of four chefs that covers basically everything inside Tyson that is not national accounts or uh, retail. So that would be all... Street business, all distribution business, all K-12, all non-commercial, healthcare, um, military, and a little bit of industrial, too. Okay. Wow. So a big swath of food service operators. Yes. In the it's, it's basically everyone from a single unit all the way up to a Cisco, uh, basically.
1: Obviously, all of those populations hit very hard by the pandemic, but then the pandemic rolls into challenges with labor, challenges with supply chain and inflation. I'm sure this comes up a lot in your interactions with clients. Tell me a little bit about what Tyson's doing to help clients navigate that.
4: There's a lot of different things we're trying to do, and we're trying to actually specialize a little bit more, <clears throat> pardon me, for the operator actually take it down to a level where they're more comfortable. So it's not a one, um, a silver bullet solution for us, really. It's like we really have to think about each operator in their individual challenges. Our non-commercial operators, for instance, they are, of course, running into the same challenges that everyone is with supply chain, but also those folks that were inside the healthcare or dealing with anything around health, well-being really got hit very 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 bad uh, at the start of the pandemic so we tried to do a little bit for them uh, specialized for that we also knew independent restaurants and chain restaurants were going to start to struggle Um, there was a couple different things we started to do there so we actually moved um, some of our SKUs around for them and uh, skew ratted it ourselves a little bit to shrink that portfolio, to optimize what we could actually produce for the country. Okay. So we wanted to not have, let's say, a, just X number of skews um, that puts you into manufacturing. Um, confines sometimes. It's like if you have two smaller runs or uh, very small proprietary SKUs. So what we wanted to do is actually uh, try to optimize our portfolio so we'd be able to feed the masses as much as possible. So when it comes down to the restaurants that are kind of on the feet on the street so to speak right now they're getting pounded with not only labor challenges but also inflation. Yeah. So uh, we've always known here in the United States that food is pretty cost effective. Um, So it's starting to get into a point where I would say it's almost a little bit more realistic on the food supply or on the dollar supply for food. Uh, But everyone at the end, it, it will affect everyone's pocketbook. So none of us are really ready for that, even though that us in the industry have kind of seen like, crops like sugar and other things that have been subsidized are always very inexpensive compared to the rest of the world. So we've seen those and we've tried to help uh, as many people as we can with, uh, I can't really control inflationary costs, but what I can help you do is optimize the back of your restaurant uh, in particular. So that's one of the things we've been doing is trying to help folks back of the house streamline and get uh, a little bit more efficient and effective in their offerings. We know that drive through took off, the grocery stores took off really heavy uh, at the f- first part of the pandemic. Now that we're kind of heading towards the endemic, um, to be in the restaurant world, you still have to have a very strong takeout business or drive through business to maintain what everyone's gotten used to. So it's like that's a, going to be a big struggle for folks that Aren't willing to adapt, aren't ready to adapt, or haven't already adapted to that. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of give and take from everyone. It's like they'll work on their um, takeout and delivery game. We're working on making products that hold longer and have that crisp or crunch that can actually make it through the delivery service um, or delivery time period. So, roughly 15 to 30 minutes. So speaking of that, I mean, so much of this has come up in the
1: pandemic. I mean, it's been around, but, you know, it became trendy, so to speak, to do the off-premises service and things like that. As a chef, you must be paying attention to what are the trends today? What's the operator of the future? How are they going to be serving their food?
4: What are, what are your thoughts on that right now? How do you, where, do, where is this all pointing right now? Um, that's a great question. So if I had that, I probably would tap out and actually go open that restaurant that uh, would figure that out. But there's a couple different things that we're seeing around that are going to help folks. Um, the appreciation for local and even hyper local is getting better and better. So it's like folks, even if they can't, um, do all their menu, With local or regional, they're doing bits and pieces with that. So we're seeing a bigger sense of community with inside the restaurant industry. We're a pretty tight-knit group anyway. Um, But now that everyone's been affected by it a little bit more, either through loss or work loss or jobs or stuff like that, or actual just loss, loss of life, um, there's been those struggles Um, All the way through the labor situation I don't think is going to come back and bounce back as quickly as everyone really hoped. It's it's a brutally difficult industry. Um, So the days of when I was starting, like it was kind of a badge of honor to work 80 to 100 hours a week. No one wants to work 80 to 100 hours a week anymore. That's actually two jobs. So um, the loss is that charm of, and I'm kind of glad it's gone of the 80-hour work weeks for chefs. And now everyone's got a better work-life balance. That's the one thing the pandemic has done for everyone, chefs included, is they've had to not only worry a whole lot more, but they've had to shorten their hours or really concentrate their time periods of service to optimize how much money is going to come into their establishment. So if they know folks aren't at uh, their offices eating lunch, chances are their lunch business is going to be very down if they're dependent on that throughput from office workers. Uh, Where we know dinner is um, that meal part where we all kind of want to get together with our friends and family. Regardless of the pandemic or anything, we always want to get together and share that common meal. So I think that dinner meal part is always going to be strong and continually to be strong uh, for the next couple of years. I think folks are used to family uh, and seeing everyone. So I think uh, even bringing food into your house from delivery, uh, having that experience is almost as good as the home-cooked meal now. Sure. Well, Chris Klein of Tyson, I appreciate your perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.